Well, good morning. Welcome to Thrive. How are we doing this morning, church? It's good to have you guys with us. And welcome to everyone watching online today. And uh, one thing we do the first Sunday of every month, if you're new to Thrive or you've never connected to Thrive beyond just sitting in a Sunday morning service, we have our Connect gathering after church today in our cafe area. Um, I want to invite you out to that. It's a great time for myself and Pastor Keith to share our vision, our values, and then how you can find community beyond just listening to music and just listening to someone uh, preach. I'd love to have you guys out today. And you've picked the perfect Sunday to come. Today is our new series called All I Want for Christmas. Uh, next week, what we're going to look at is this. We're going to look at All I Want for Christmas is peace. Peace is the most underrated attribute and most misunderstood attribute of God that I believe uh, in, in Christianity today. We're going to talk about that. The third week, we're actually going to look at this. And this is something that most churches don't talk about until someone actually has a funeral. But it's all I want for Christmas is my loved ones back. We all have an empty chair. And Christmas time can be one of the most depressing times that we face. And I want us to look at the lens of Scripture and how do we have biblical good grief and what does God say about that. And today what I want to talk to you about is this. My assignment is to talk to you about all I want for Christmas is Christ. During this season, it's busy. Uh, parties are ramping back up again. Gatherings are ramping back up again. You've got to buy gifts. Some of you have not done your Christmas shopping yet and you're in trouble. You know you can't get it shipped, so you've got to go physically do it. And in all of the hustle and the bustle of the season, we usually miss the most important thing about this season, and it's Christ. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. We'll be in Matthew 2. Um, I tell you all the time about my friend Eric, who helped me before salvation and even afterwards. But Eric gave his life to Christ before I did, and he really attracted me to the gospel. I wanted what he had. I could tell the gospel had changed his life radically. But I would not come to Christ. And one of the major reasons I delayed coming to know Jesus was because Jesus posed a threat to me. Jesus was a threat to my hedonistic and pleasure-seeking lifestyle. I knew that if I came to Christ, I would have to give up the very things that brought me pleasure at the expense of having a flourishing life, right? So like for me, people say, were you an addict? I wasn't an addict. I was a pleasure seeker, meaning this, whatever you put before me, I'd do it. Like whatever party I was at, it did not matter what they had. I would just do it because I was a pleasure seeker. It wasn't one thing. It was many things. And Jesus posed a threat because I knew that Eric had given up all of those things and he was happy. But I was like, no, 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 no. If I come to Jesus, he is going to destroy that part of my life, which I hold dearly, which is seeking immoral pleasure in my life. Well, today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 as a king who also saw Jesus as a threat. His name was Herod, or Herod the Great. And, and King Herod was under Augustus. And remember that Caesar Augustus, that, that Rome ruled the world during the first century, and that Augustus was the major ruler, and then Herod the Great had the jurisdiction over Jerusalem and most of Israel, and because Rome ruled Israel at that time. Uh, it was said about, said about Herod, and Augustus said this, said that it would be safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Why? Because King Herod was so jealous of anyone who posed a threat to take over his throne, even his own children. 
Uh, matter of fact, this plays in greatly because the passage we're going to look at today is one that you probably have heard. Even if you've not been in church much, you've uh, seen this or heard songs about it, that we three kings of Orient are, the wise men show up. Well, what happened was this. It wasn't just these wise men that show up. But Herod, in his palace, hanging out, has a great company of magi show up. Now, these magi, now you've got to really understand this, weren't just wise men. They were modern, what we call modern-day astronomers. They studied the stars. They studied other prophecies of other religions. Um, they were borderline, if I should be honest with you, kind of borderline and dabbling in witchcraft. Like they were looking at signs and all that, and what sign are you, and all those things, and, and, and that. They were not followers of God. But most scholars believe that these men were from the exile, like when Judah was exiled way before Jesus, that they remained in the east, and they had some type of Jewish knowledge or upbringing. They were studying the Jewish prophecies. And so these guys here who show up were a great company, and Tertullian, one of the historians, says that there were probably kings with them as well from the east who traveled with them. And so imagine this here, that these guys, kings, these astronomers all show up on Herod's doorstep. And I want you to see what happens here in Matthew chapter 2. It says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, and this is not the question you arrive asking at Herod's door, where is the newborn king of the Jews? He was so incredibly insecure. He was so jealous. And the Romans were scared of the Jews because all throughout their history, they knew the Jews always kind of just rose to the top and took out whoever ruled them. And this is in the back of their mind. So you couple that with a very insecure leader, and these guys show up with kings and these really, really smart guys who study the galaxy, and they're like, hey, where's the king of the Jews? I know you're king, but we heard there's a king of the Jews. It's not going to play out well. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. And watch this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. We look at the Christmas season as you know, good tidings of great joy. Jerusalem was very disturbed. Why would Jerusalem be disturbed? Because the Jews were scared of Rome. Rome was this incredibly powerful militaristic power. And if they heard that the Jews were trying to do an uprising, they would be even harsher to them. So the Jews were like, oh, no, 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 what is this? They were disturbed as well. And it says this, He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, the Jewish law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first Appeared. He's studying this. He's trying to figure this thing out because he is worried. He is scared of this new king. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, watch this, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. How many of you know that Herod was not interested in worshiping the newborn king? He was interested in capturing him, 
or killing him because of the threat that Jesus posed to his kingdom. And what I want to do today is draw a, a parallel between Herod and between us. Because in our lives, we can also be just like Herod when it comes to Jesus. And if you have your notes, write this down. This is the parallel I want to draw today is this, is that Jesus poses a threat to our personal kingdom. Jesus poses a threat to our personal kingdom. Now, whether you're following Jesus or not, he's a threat. Because in all of our lives, just like Herod had this jurisdiction that he was in control over, that was his place in the world, you and I have these jurisdictions of our heart. And, and the Christian life is surrendering more and more to Jesus the longer that you follow Jesus. However, more, most people, their hearts get harder toward Jesus. So they're not softer. They're not yielding more ground to Jesus, but less. Because we all have these personal kingdoms in our life, these personal places. Remember a few weeks ago I said kingdoms and castles? And we all have these places. Jesus posed a threat to Herod's kingdom, and he will pose a threat to ours as well. The goal for us is that Christ is on the throne of every area of our life. That's the goal for us. See, many of us during this season, you're going to walk into a store, and they're going to say to you, happy holidays. And some of you really, like, you know, Righteous Christians will say, I don't say happy holidays. I say Merry Christmas. <laughs> bah humbug. Looking like the Grinch. And they, of course, the, the person's saying it because that's what their employer told them to say, guys, right? They're just taking Christ out of Christmas. I just can't believe it. Here's the thing about Christ out of Christmas and prayer out of schools. Long before the world ever tries to dethrone Christ from something in what we have in our domain, we as Christians have dethroned Christ in our lives personally. The problem isn't taking prayer out of schools. The problem is most of us don't pray at all. You're mad because they don't pray in schools. How much time do you spend in prayer? I'm just saying, right? Some of us get mad about Christ being taken out of Christmas. Guys, we secularized it long ago and made it about gifts and a, and a man with a white beard and all that. Like, like, yeah, like my son gets gifts, and we, and we have fun with the Santa Claus thing and whatever, but it's Jesus is what we talk about. It's Jesus, the reason we give gifts and all that. And my fear is this, because um, uh, Jesus poses a personal threat to our kingdom, we've not given him the rulership of our life. And I want to talk to you about that today, because here is my fear. And you can write this down here. If we don't dismantle our kingdom for his, then we will have a Herod complex. If we don't dismantle our kingdom for his kingdom, we're going to have a Herod complex. And what does that mean? Herod was incredibly threatened by Jesus because it, mean he, it meant he would lose something very valuable to him. And all of us in our life, we have these jurisdictions. We have these spaces. And can I tell you, the longer you follow Jesus, the harder it is to give those things up. And it's up to us as believers, if we won't Christ for Christmas, it starts with him ruling and reigning in our hearts in every area of our life, continually taking ground in our life, that we would give up our kingdom for his kingdom. You know, whenever you're traveling in a subway, you may see these signs, and if you've done this you know, overseas or even in America, there's a sign that's up, and then you'll hear the, the, the person of the intercom say, mind the gap. You guys, anybody heard that before when you're in a subway? Mind the gap. Um, and they have this little picture, and it's like a, it shows a guy with his foot down there, and it's like, don't do that, or you could get hurt really bad. 
That gap there is the dangerous part you've got to pay, pay attention to in your life. Because if you fall in that gap, you're going to get hurt and you could get killed. The same thing is true of what I'm talking about today. We all have gaps. And the gap is this. The gap is the difference between our lips and our life. And we all have that gap, every one of us. I, I, I hate a Christian who says, I'm a mature believer. Number one, you're actually, you lack self-awareness and you're not mature because we're all maturing. We're not, you, 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 don't, you don't get to a place where you're mature and everybody else isn't. We're all maturing at different levels because we all have the gap. And the gap is this, is what we say about Jesus and what we do about Jesus. See, see, realize that there's two major parts of your Christian walk. First is salvation. And that's when you profess Christ as your Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you shall be saved, right? And that's beautiful when you give your life to Jesus. But the other part's a word that we don't talk about a lot in Christianity today. It's a big word. It's a church word. It's called sanctification. And that word there literally means setting apart, to, to set something apart, to keep setting it apart. And sanctification is a lifelong progress and process that we as believers are called to. And that sanctification, what that is, is your gap. The greater the gap between what you say about Jesus and how you live for Jesus, that gap is uh, your sanctification gap. How much of your life have you set apart to him? And many of us have a really big gap because we have areas we're just not going to give up. We have preferences. We have things that we, because listen to this, before you give your life to Jesus, you just, you own and rule everything, don't you? You call your own shots. You're leading your own life. I, I saw this and it was so fitting, like on social media, and it was beautiful. Uh, one scholar said that Satan doesn't tell you he wants to rule your life. The lie of the enemy is he wants you to be autonomous and rule your own life. And that's what he tricked Adam and Eve with. And that's what happens to us. And after we give our life to Christ, we've called our own shots. We've been independent in charge of our own lives. That now we've got to come and submit to scriptures. And we've we got to submit to the Holy Spirit, even submit to Christian you know, brothers and sisters who may call us out on things. And that is difficult because then you're not autonomous anymore. Your decision for Jesus is personal, but you become a part of a body once you do that. And what sanctification is, how you close that gap, is you have to search the Scriptures. And wherever, and you can, you can find out how big your gap is when you get to a Scripture and you're reading it, when it tells you to do something you don't want to do. Like, and we were talking about generosity, like the series last week. Well, I'm not going to do that. That's the gap you got. If you are bitter and unforgiving towards someone and you refuse to reconcile, then God says, that's the gap. I refuse to have any reconciliation. And reconciliation doesn't mean you can be best friends and get along. It just means as believers, you're coming to it to a point where you forgive each other for what has happened and you move on, right? To live at peace doesn't mean to live in partnership. It may be your, your own body, your sexual choices, or whatever that is. All that belongs to Jesus. And what you're going to find as you search the Scriptures and come to certain points, you're going to say, oh, I don't bless my enemies. I kind of I curse them. Oh, oh, man, you know, the, the way I'm treating those people, oh, husbands, you get that point in Ephesians. You're like, oh, man, I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like, really? 
And that's where you meet the gap in your life. And you have to say, you know what? I will give up my kingdom for his. Lord, forgive me for that attitude. Forgive me of those actions. Um, sanctification is pretty much this, your attitudes, your, your behaviors, and your beliefs. Anytime you read the New Testament epistles and you're going through Corinthians and Romans, all that, there's three things Paul always deal with, deals with. He deals with your attitude. He deals with their, their behaviors. And he also deals with their beliefs because those are the three things that will help you close the gap. And it's saying, Lord, I will give up my kingdom for yours, even though I love how this makes me feel. Um, some of us are addicted to anger. Some of us are addicted to, to things that um, are emotional. Here's the thing about sanctification. Let me just share this with you. When you first get to give your life to Jesus, he gets rid of all the things that you just don't like that are harmful. And he helps you with that. Like for me, it was giving up like, you know, pleasure seeking. So I stopped drugs. I stopped, you know, ever drinking and alcohol and all that. And then, and then finally he helped me with cigarettes, which was really hard to get rid of. And so my clothes started smelling better, <laughs> right? Like, they, like it benefited me, right? Like, hey, I'm doing good. I stopped cussing at people and, and, and doing all that and, and using foul language all the time and, and telling bad jokes. And so it's like God helped me with this outer. But the longer you follow Jesus, the Lord gets rid of the outer. And then he begins to deal with what they call the sins of the spirit. If you look, Paul says the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. That's the stuff inside of you that you refuse to give to Jesus, that you think is cute and God is saying, that's a gap, and that's going to hurt you because you will not experience my full life as long as— the bigger the gap, the less of the full life that Jesus wants for you, and he wants to close that. You know, for me, I'll never forget when I gave my life to Jesus, I uh, began to tour in a, in, a, in a local band. They brought me on to play guitar for them, and these guys actually got to tour. Like, I was like, whoa, I was, I was, I've been saved for three months and a radical transformation. I'd given up all those things that, you know, like just the outward things and all of that. But these guys here were a Christian band. There's a reason I don't go to Christian concerts anymore. Don't ever ask me. I won't go because I've seen them in the hotels. All right? That's all I'm going to say about that. Which bands? I ain't going to tell you. And so I was with this band, and, and we did, we played with a band, um, a band called Grits, which they were actually really great guys, a rap group. I'm dating myself back from 1999. Grits used to be an awesome rap group. They're probably cheesy to our, our teens today. But we got a tour. It was so awesome. But here's what was happening. Those guys were drawing me back into that lifestyle once again. They were pleasure seekers. They were in Christian homes, but they weren't following Jesus. I began to smoke again. I began to use foul language. I began to get, like, fall into all the things I just walked out of and God delivered me from. And I went to a service one Sunday morning, and I'll never forget the preacher. I'll never forget this message. And the message was purity equals power. And, and, and the, the pastor that they challenged us that if you want to see God's power in your life, you've got to separate yourself and live pure for God. And I knew exactly what the Lord was saying to me. You know how like, like uh, there's a generic message, but you know there's something there just for you. And so I went home, I spent time in prayer, and I really felt the Lord say this to me. Um, again, I never heard audible voices. Um, I'm not that type of guy, but, um, but I, I felt this impression. And the Lord said, quit that band today. And if you'll quit that band, I'll bless you. And I thought, Lord, I, I get to tour I actually get a chance to like do something I've always wanted to do. And I'm like getting to do something for you. Like, you know, and I just felt the Lord adamantly, I just felt like I had to do it because purity equals power and I was not living a pure life for Jesus. And so I called the guy up and I called the band up and told him I was quitting. And I told him why I was quitting. 
I said, man, you guys don't honor God. Your, your lips say one thing, but your life says another. And I just, I said, I'm sorry. I, I just can't. And they laughed at me, and they called me really bad names. Um, and I remember one guy looked at me. He, when I did see him face to face, he said, don't worry, Kevin. Your little fire is going to die soon. Made my fire for Jesus. And man, that made me so angry. And so I started a band with an acoustic guitar in my room by myself with me and Jesus. And the Lord did bless me. Because when, when you're willing to give up what's in your hand, he's willing to then release what's in his hand. Amen. And so I, I released that thing, and the Lord helped me play in a band that was able to go do touring. We're able to do it on our terms, to live purely. I require the guys in that band to tithe. <laughs> Punk rockers. I'm like, yeah, I was like, man, Scripture says tithe, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I was like, like we're going to live for Jesus. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're here to see lives change. I'm not a performing artist. I am, I'm a traveling missionary. And that, that's how we lived because I obeyed God in that area. And I'll never forget the last album we cut. One of the lyrics was, and this fire will never die. And I saw that joker when I was in college. He got a, he got a job working for the media department at a college. And he walks up to me and says, man, Kevin, oh, and I said, Justin, I said, hey, man, I want to tell you one thing. The fire's still not gone yet. You know, I just looked at him and said that. Because I'll never forget that day I had to close the gap. And said, guys, and that happens. You may say, yes, in 1982, I closed the gap. Yep, I just stopped smoking and drinking. I just, no, 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 no. Closing the gap is a daily experience for every believer. That when you open the scriptures, it says stop gossiping, stop gossiping. When it says don't speak evil of your name, stop speaking evil. When it says no division should be among you, when you get to those places, you're like, boom, i got to close the gap. Lord, help me. And it gets harder and harder, but Jesus will come in and help you with that. But here's what you have to do, and here's what I had to do. Here's what I'm having to do. Write this down. Crown Christ as your king. Crown Christ. You may say, yep, I, I did that. No, 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 no. It's not I did that. Once you give your life to Jesus, it's a continually yielding and surrendering your life to Jesus. And these magi are a perfect example of that. The magi we talked about, and what I love about the, the, the nativity historical you know, uh, account of Christ, I call it a story, it's not a story, is that God visited the ir irreligious people and used them for his purposes. And he did that with the Magi. She remember the conversation. Herod says, go find this king. Come back and tell me. And then I'm going to go and find him, and I will worship him too. We always know what code word worship means with that, right? And I want you to look at what happened in Matthew 2, verse 9, because these guys crowned Christ as their king. And it says this, after this interview, the wise men went their way. They left. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Really quickly, in Christianity, Mary and Jesus are not equal, okay? Uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus and we're thankful for that. If she would have been equal, the wise men would have worshiped her too, but they didn't. That's just a side note. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then look what happens next. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And most scholars believe that each one of these had something very symbolic to do with Jesus' life and Jesus' death, of being a king, of being a prophet, a priest, and the myrrh anointing him for his death. 
And when it was time to leave, and pay attention to this, this is the crux here, they returned through their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This journey they had to find Jesus wasn't an overnight journey. Like, like we simplify it to the point that it's like, it's just, it's just like, okay, so they saw the star, they went one night, and they found Jesus one night, right? It's a couple days. Most scholars believe this is a couple of years journey to find Jesus. One of the reasons is that word child there we just read is not the word baby. They didn't find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and strips of cloth, right? But it was a child. And he was probably between the ages of two and three. It takes great humility to bow down to a two or three-year-old. <laughs> a baby's like, oh, it's angelic and it's sleeping. And you're like, oh. But, and, and I don't know, but, but maybe when they showed up, this two to three-year-old child was running around like two to three-year-old. Does anybody have a two or three-year-old or close to that age, right? It, they're random. I mean, they, they come in and they put, they've, they've marked on their face. <laughs> There's always snot destroyed. I mean, you know, you guys that aren't parents or you're too old not to remember, like, you know, snarling at me. The rest of you are like, yeah, yeah, nah. and, and they show up. It's a two- to three-year period, and they show up, and they brought him gifts. They knelt down, and they worshiped him. But not only that, won't you watch what they did to crown Christ as their king? Here's what they did. On the way to Jesus, they obeyed Herod to get there. Listen to this. Herod told them to go. But once they encountered Jesus, they obeyed God. And they went another way. That's what crowning Christ as your king means. It means that, that you obey Herod and the culture and the world, but then when you encounter Jesus, and not just one time, but daily you encounter him through the scriptures, you encounter him through prayer, you encounter him through brothers and sisters in Christ who, who call you to higher standards. When, you, when that happens, you begin to leave a different way in which you came. You begin to be changed. Something changed them, and that was Jesus and what they did, guys, is what we have to do to close the gap. It sounds simple, but it's a lifelong process, and it's this. Stop saying it. Start showing it. Stop just saying it. Start showing it. See, it's the gap between our lips and our life. And I believe the Lord would say to us today, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And I don't know about you, but I just got through with a thankfulness like, thing with the Bible app. And I went through this like full thing with thankfulness. And can I tell you what I realized when I went through it? I'm incredibly ungrateful, incredibly unthankful. I had a gap in my life. I focused on everything that was negative and everything that was wrong. I focused on the people who probably didn't matter the most, who were the loudest in my life. And I kept focusing on negative things. And what I'm doing is I've got to close a gap in that, guys. I'm personally telling you, I need to be more grateful and more thankful because that creates joy. That creates all those things in my life. As I open the Scriptures up and read them, I tell you this all the time, you've got to let the Scriptures read you and speak to you. And this is not a one-time event. This is daily. And the longer you serve Jesus, the more intentional you have to be with that. So let me ask you today, where is it in your life that Christ is not on the throne? Where is it in your life that you've removed Christ? If you're mad, he's not in Christmas, he's not even on the throne of our lives. We shouldn't be upset with that. The gap, mind the gap. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray for every person in here 
that you would help us, Lord, with the difference between our lips and our life. I pray, Lord, that you would show us those gaps, Lord. As we read the scriptures, may the Holy Spirit of God breathe life on the scriptures and make them real to us, make them alive to us. Uh, make it, Lord God, where it can correct us and help us and, Lord, to grow, to experience all the flourishing that you've called for us, Lord God, through your grace. Speak to every heart during this season, Lord. And when they see the nativity scenes, when they see the, the, the wise men, the magi there, may we always be reminded, Lord, that we should leave differently once we meet Jesus in our personal life. We should leave differently than we came, Lord, to him. Help us to have that burned into our hearts, Father. And God, may we continually set apart our lives to be used by you. And as we're praying today, church, and for you guys in here physically and those who are watching online, uh, maybe your next step is salvation. Maybe you've, you've just said it with your lips, but you've never just surrendered your life to Jesus and given everything. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I'm, maybe that's you today. Maybe you walked away from your faith. Maybe you got hurt by church. I'm not sure your story today, but today is your day to give your life to Christ. And right where you're sitting this morning, and if you're watching online and you're on your couch, your recliner, wherever you're at, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith, and it's this. God, I'm putting Jesus on the throne of my life. I'm making Jesus my Lord today. For I believe that he's the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross, and I believe he rose again on the third day. I turn from my old life, and I receive new life. I receive your Holy Spirit. Now help me to be set apart for your purposes. And it's in Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen.